agnostics, long-haired weirdos, short-haired weirdos, vandals, hooligans. The government hug the government love. The government hug the government love. The government Welcome to The Politics Guys, a place for bipartisan, rational, and civil debate on American politics and policy. I'm Michael Baranowski, a professor of political science at Northern Kentucky University. I'm joined today by Cleveland Area Attorney and Republican factotum, Jay Carson. Good morning, Mike. Hey, Jay. How are you this morning? Well, usually I'd have something funny and witty, but uh, I got to tell you, it's, it's been a, a rough week, uh, and I, I guess I don't really have any anything clever or funny on hand. Um, uh, but, um, uh, I'm doing okay. All Good. things considered. Yeah. I, I know the feeling. I actually have a little something a few days ago. That was one of those gorgeous, not a cloud in the sky days. I mean, the sky was this beautiful shade of blue. And, and I, I thought to myself, what is that color? What would you call it? Now a normal person would say, oh, duh, sky blue. But I, I just color picking, you know, this color app on my phone and I just put my phone up to it and just was curious to see what it would say. And it, it said something that made me just made me smile. It said that the sky was United Nations blue. And I just love that. Oh my God. <laughs> wow. I, I knew you'd like that. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Anyway, anyway, um, you know, before we get started with today's uh, topics and all this, this okay, can I just interject because oh. that, that is, <laughs> this is, it's almost one of these things that that, yes, it troubles me so much that uh, <laughs> uh, the interjection of politics into every aspect of, of, of our world. And it's sort of like it, it would used to be that you would say, what color is the, the United Nations flag? And you would say it's sky blue. Yeah. But now you say the sky is United Nations <laughs> blue. Yeah, there you go. There you go. I don't know. I, I had a feeling that would cause a very different reaction in you than it would in me. But uh, but yeah. Um, anyway, uh, you know, before we do get started, I just want to let everyone know that every once in a while, you know, we do get some things wrong. Now, of course, opinions can't be wrong. They can be wrong headed. But sometimes we miss on factual things. And when that does happen, we do appreciate getting, you know, comments and corrections. We're happy to make those corrections. Just like last week, uh, a listener wrote in that Trey and Ken mistakenly said that the governor of Minnesota was African-American. And I listened to that episode like I do to all. I think it was one of those sort of Someone says, isn't is the governor of Minnesota African-American? I, maybe. I don't know. And it's kind of one of those things that happens sometimes when you're talking about things in real time and in kind of a conversation, which is what this is. And so sometimes those things happen. And of course, you know, they, the governor of Minnesota is not, in fact, African-American. And thanks for pointing that out. And if, you know, other things come by like that, please let us know. And we are happy to make corrections. We're always trying to be as factually correct and unfake newsish as we can possibly be. So thanks very much. Um, also, I wanted to let everyone know that we're going to be continuing what's been sort of a recent run of available to everyone midweek interviews this week uh, with one with economist Jeffrey Sachs, who is probably, uh, I'd say, the, the leading, if not the leading authority, one of the probably top, I don't know, half a dozen leading authorities in the world on development. And so when I was uh, contacted, said, hey, do you want to interview Jeffrey Sachs? It's like, I uh, pause a second, say, are you kidding? Yeah, definitely. Um, and we'll be releasing that on Tuesday. And then the following day, that's Wednesday, of course, if you're keeping track, Jay and I will be discussing the interview on our Patreon uh, supporters midweek show and uh, that and a number of other things. And Jay, you listened to the episode, and I think you'll agree with me that Professor Sachs had some 
pretty, I would say, controversial things to say about China, and I'm I'm eager to talk about them with you. Yeah, no, I I, I would hope they're controversial. Yeah, yeah. They, yeah, I think they should be. So anyway, I think it's going to be a great conversation, and I am looking forward to it. So I want to thank our newest supporters, Stephen and Laura, as well as Stephen. This is a different Stephen who recently doubled his previous level of support for the show. It matters a lot, and of course, as a supporter. You get access to a full-length bonus show each week, as well as you know, various other things at different levels of support. And to check it all out, just go to patreon.com slash politicsguys. And, you know, sometimes a monthly, monthly, that's going to be too much of a commitment. Well, there's also, pay, there's also, sorry, Patreon, there's also PayPal, and you can check that out by going to politicsguys.com slash support if you just want to do a one-time sort of thing. And finally, if you would like all of our bonus content, but you just and can't afford financially to support the show right now, it's totally not a problem. Just send me an email, mikeatpoliticsguys.com, and I will make sure that you get access to everything we're putting out. Okay, Jay, so where do we start this week? Well, wow, where, where do we start? Um, the the pop story, uh, obviously, is the, uh, the George Floyd protests uh, and the uh, riots and violence that ensued after uh, I'm really hesitant to, because I hate using the cliche of uh, the protest began peacefully and then uh, uh, turned into because that 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 seems to I don't know convey no no real information and I'm not sure and I want to I want to be able to in this discussion draw a line between protesters and, and rioters uh, who I think are, are are two separate groups of people. Um, but but that's that is the the main story that uh, protests across the country uh, turned violent in uh, many cities, uh, damage and destruction, uh, a personal injury, um, cities locked down on under curfew. Uh, at the same time, the the country has sort of erupted in sort of a this is sort of a, a Black Lives Matter sort of moment, right? It's it's sort of everywhere uh, in our culture. Um, with uh, everyone from the the NFL to the corporations uh, calling uh, on on a better better look at at what's going on uh, in the black community and how how it relates to to law enforcement. Um, so I, I guess I, I you know my goal here, my and I don't want to recount everything that happened sure. um, because there's just too much to to recount in some ways, and, I, and I'm, I'm for fear of leaving stuff out. Um, but I think the the biggest thing that I wanted to do, and and I'm I'm going to say this is this week is a little weird because, um, it, it's this is kind of feels personal in that uh, there was there was rioting in Cleveland, um, uh, where I live, uh, not far from where I live, uh, and I'll tell you I have a, a friend, someone I've worked with for years on various community boards, who has a store downtown Cleveland. Um, which he had recently uh, opened, reopened again, following the pandemic. Uh, it was destroyed. Oh, uh, his stuff was looted. Uh, his staff hid behind the counter while uh, the looters uh, carried this out. Um, and and this is this is a man um, who, who again made the decision to I'm going to invest in in downtown Cleveland. Yeah. Uh, you know he could have put his new store anywhere else in the suburbs. He had several places in the suburbs, but he said, "Let's go to." Um, and I'll tell you, it's that that's been that's been weighing on my mind. And, and I think there were there were people who who will fairly push back and say, uh, uh, so what? This is this is a monetary loss. Uh, George Floyd is dead. And at the same time, I I I want to acknowledge that that that's also 
you know, again, loss of life is always a bigger tragedy than loss of property. Um, but but so much of what I wanted to, to sort of have you and I talk about today is, um, you know, to the extent what can we do about about either, and what's what are the next steps. Um, so I mean, the other the other thing that, that I thought was was sort of funny is that it it took me back to one of our first podcasts that we did, and a couple of our podcasts have have been about um, police violence. I mean, yeah. it was Michael Brown, Trayvon Martin, <clears throat> uh, so many of these other cases that we've discussed throughout the years. And I guess my first first question is, you know, since we've been doing the show for five years, and and you and I talked through a whole lot of recommendations of things that could be done, body cams, better training, all this. And so many of them were instituted, but but here we are. Um, and I wanted to get first thoughts on, uh, are, are, do, you, do you think, and, and it's not mutually exclusive, but uh, is our problem, the bigger problem, race uh, relations, or is it policing? Uh, and that's not to say it's not both, and it can't be both, uh, and they can't be different, but I, you know, I guess, I guess that's sort of the starting point I wanted to, to look at. Sure. Yeah. You know, I think they're both problems, but I, but I think you're right. We shouldn't necessarily lump them in together. And, and maybe, maybe it's because I tend to look at things from a policy perspective, but one of the things I've been focusing on a lot are the the systemic problems with policing that I think disproportionately affect certainly African-Americans, but they, you know, disproportionately affect, I would say, you know, a, a, a lot of poor people who tend to have more uh, run-ins with the police. But again, it's not to say the race, the, I believe there's a systemic racism problem, but as for the, you know, you, you're right, we've talked about a lot of proposals and things like that. And, and I think that one of the problems is that, you know, you mentioned the body camps thing. We know that a lot of departments have, in fact, you know, uh, had you know instituted body cams, but we also know that in a number of cases that those body cams uh, aren't turned on a whole lot, or that that exactly, yeah. or that information about them isn't transparent. So I think, I think you know when we talked about this in the past, we've maybe been a little more inclined to believe that there's a technological solution to this problems, wanting to believe that, but I think really. That that's not, you know, that that's unfortunately not the case. And so I, I'm glad you brought up the policy thing because that's what I wanted to focus on because I, there hasn't been, I don't think, maybe as much as I'd like. And, and one thing I think that everyone can, I hope, agree on is that we just have really poor data about police violence, police use of force. And uh, I think before we go anywhere... It's important to set up a system where we have really robust data collection and distribution because without good information, it's very difficult to implement solutions. Agreed. Yeah. No, I think that's I think that's exactly right. Yeah. And, um, and I was going to say, I, I believe there's also legislation in place currently at the federal level that allows the Department of Justice to essentially require law enforcement agencies to provide more information than they're than they are. But my understanding is that the DOJ hasn't really fully used that authority to this point. And I yeah. think it's something that should be well, done. There's also the question of, is that is that data collected in the first place? Yeah. And, you know, or, or, and yeah. to what extent is it collectible? Because there are some that, that perhaps. Yeah, uh, again. Absolutely. And I think, of course, departments have 
an interest in not sharing negative information. Like any organization doesn't want to do that, which is why I think it's important to have these requirements that some someone outside of the department or the city structure, because and you know that's and that's another part of the problem, right? Is that this is a, you know, we have thousands of local police departments who have their own various standards and run things in different ways. And if you take a look at things like, for instance, use of force policies, they they vary widely, even between what you would think is the are the biggest and most highly trained forces. And so, you know, that that's I think that's a real problem. Yeah. Um, you know, another another I guess the the piece that I wanted to get to and because this is what struck me, because I, I'd done a lot of thinking about this. And also for listeners who don't know, I, I had served for six years on our local civil service commission. Um, uh, so as 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 such, um, I did a lot of had a lot of interaction with the police department. And um, uh, there was, you know, the process that, that we have here in the small city I live in outside of Cleveland um, was really pretty robust in terms of intake. Uh, in looking at officers who are applying for positions, uh, applying to take civil service exams, uh, and, and in you know these these uh, potential uh, officers would would do background checks, uh, <clears throat> um, uh, uh, polygraphs, uh, interviews, uh, and, and it was a robust process. And if, if the police department felt that someone uh, would be a problem. There was a procedure where they go to the Civil Service Commission and say, we think this person should be removed from the eligible list because of X, Y, and Z. Uh, and and uh, the commission did so in, in many cases. And I can tell you, there were a lot of cases where we looked at this and said, yikes, uh, this person wants to be a, a cop. Um, so, I, you know, I'm thinking of looking at uh, what uh, uh, the officer uh, in the uh, George Floyd death, uh, Chauvin, his, his record, uh, was was spotty. Yeah, more uh, than were, spotty. There were yeah, numerous yeah. complaints, issues about him uh, going back decades, uh, and and that's again, if I'm looking at you know what policy steps, you know maybe maybe the issue is that we're dealing, uh, you know, you, my, we mentioned body cams, and the problem with body cams is well they can be turned off. Uh, collecting information, well the reports can be faked, right? Um, there's there are all those and and. At some level, we come back to dealing with the crooked timber of humanity, right? Yeah, you know, I um, think that that's a great point. And, but also, that crooked timber becomes institutionalized in collective bargaining agreements between police officers and uh, police exactly. unions. And because I think what a lot of people don't realize is in many of these collective bargaining uh, agreements, police officers actually get special legal protections that aren't afforded to regular non-police defendants, things like rules about when they can be questioned and how much yep. time has to be between. And, and you add that up with their already greater knowledge of the system and so forth. And it's a whole different playing field. Now, of course, some people would say, well, they shouldn't have those protections. Other civil libertarians are like more likely to say, well, why shouldn't everyone get those protections, but then the police say, well, then we wouldn't be able to convict people say, well, then why are you getting those protections? Yeah. And so, you know, and, and I think the same sort of logic that a lot of conservatives apply to say teachers unions saying that it makes it harder to weed out the bad people, things like, you know, uh, disciplinary records being expunged after a certain level of time, lack of transparency. Exactly. Yeah. That also applies to it police. 
And that's that's one of the issues, even with with uh, Chauvin now. I mean, even as best I I can tell, you know, no, the details of of his prior incidents are are not publicly or not readily available uh, publicly. Um, uh, and and I guess you know, to, so to me, a lot of things that that we've talked about, a lot of these institutional reforms, it's not it's not that they shouldn't happen. Body cams are, are a good thing and and a a, a great thing, um, but when you have, you know, just a bad apple, the, the issue isn't so much what we, can we do with the system, but what can we do to, to see that someone like uh, uh, Chauvin is not carrying a badge and a gun? Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, at some point that to me, and, and I, I imagine I will take flack and heat, heat for this, that, that I think that's the bigger issue than um, is this a, a, a race problem? Um, that's certainly not to say that race isn't, isn't doesn't factor into this, but I, I think I think you're right in saying it, it's just a you know that's that's more a symptom of uh, our our broader issue where we have uh, uh, more uh, uh, people of color having interactions with police officers uh, than uh, than than whites. But I, I wanted so I mean I guess want to just get your comments. But it sounds like we we agree on a lot of that. That you know well, I guess that's the frustration is so much of the institutional stuff. It seems has already been done, uh, but yet this persists. And, yeah, and yeah. you know, where do we go from well, here? Th- there are a couple of things. Of course, one of the problems is that a lot of these things are are, are local, right? And you, you're expecting, you know, communities yeah. to police themselves in, in that sense. But there, I mean, certainly there are ways that the federal government can encourage this through tying funding to through uh, a higher accreditation standards and other sorts of things. And another thing that the federal government had done in the past, and this is something we'll maybe we'll disagree on a little bit more, is uh, Department of Justice investigations and the use of consent decrees to provide, well, you know, to make it a lot harder sure. to provide that incentive to improve departments that in which systemic issues have been found. And as a lot of people know, the, the Obama administration was a, a fairly big proponent of these things. But one of the things that we saw with the incoming Trump administration is that they pulled back considerably on these with President Trump, you know, feeling that uh, it was being too hard on police and that sort of thing. And I think, Jay, the unfortunate thing is that this is often portrayed as a black and white thing. I know we're going to talk about this and not in terms of color later on because yeah. there's uh, an article uh, you're recommending this week. But I don't think it has to be uh, either either we just tell cops to not engage with, you know, people who are doing bad stuff or we just have them crack heads. I, I don't I think that's a false dichotomy that a lot of people use to kind of advance whatever their agenda is. But I don't think it has to be that way. Yeah, no, no. I And I think that's absolutely right. So so turning to the the uh, article that I had shared with you, um, uh, and this is this is, again, one of the reasons why, because to me, the, the biggest thing is I, if this is a problem, I want to diagnose it correctly. Yeah. Right. And and get the right prescription. And, and uh, if, if there is no prescription and, and the only way to do it is uh, prevention. Right. Let's. Yeah, let's look at it that way. So th- there were a couple studies, um, uh, one from a uh, professor at Harvard. Um, oh, I lost his name. Harvard guy. Harvard guy. Um, uh, and uh, uh, another from. Um, uh, I believe the uh, University of Cal- California, 
Uh, there's another one, Mike, that I found that I, I did not send to you yet, but that was done by um, a professor at the University of Michigan and uh, Maryland. Uh, but what these studies show is that they looked at police shootings and found that when you adjust for things like race of, of officer uh, encounters with the police, there was not an overwhelming show of, of white on black shootings. Uh, in fact, the data seemed to show that uh, black or Hispanic officers were slightly more likely uh, to shoot uh, minority suspects than whites were. Uh, white officers uh, also were, were uh, likely to, to shoot uh, white civilians. Everyone's um, willing to shoot black people. Yeah, basically, is what we get everybody. to. Yeah. But, but, and and the, I want to put the caveat that, because this is something you sort of mentioned earlier, th this is police shootings, uh, not all, you know, uh, excessive force yeah. Yeah, issues. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and one of the reasons it's police shootings is because, well, when there's a shooting, there's a report. Yeah. Um, so that that's, you know, they they have a base of, of data to look at, uh, whereas just uh, somebody gets roughed up in an arrest, there may or may not be a report. It may or may not fall into that category, a clear cut category of, you know, shot was fired. Um, but but you can sort of use it as a little bit of a proxy. And, and it, it raises the issue of is this the issue we're facing? Um, is it racial or is it just uh Police uh, policing, excessive use of, of police force. And, I, and the other example I just want to throw out there is because it popped up uh, this morning. Um, uh, police in Buffalo uh, mm -hmm. who uh, were treated, uh, this was a, a white elderly gentleman, uh, treated him fairly poorly, um, pushing him down on the sidewalk. Back, you know, he cracked his head open, bleeding, and, and just sort of walked over him. Um, uh, and, and again, I've, I'm, I'm making this, this, this week probably too personal, but I've I've been uh, in my life uh, have represented um, uh, uh, plaintiffs uh, in excessive force cases. Uh, it was a white plaintiff, a white cop, uh, and uh, nobody died. Um, but but to me, I, I just see that that you know there there are two separate problems, and it, it troubles me a little bit that it's all been conflated to race because then in some ways that's that's kind of uh, maybe more inflammatory. Uh, and yeah, and yeah, I, I see what you're saying. And I think that well, in trying to find policy solutions that might get some bipartisan support, it's to the extent that we can, it can be helpful to to uh, disentangle these things to the extent that, you know, to the extent that it's possible, because uh, better policing is going to be better for everyone regardless of their color, though it will be particularly better for the people who are most affected for whatever reason. Right. Uh, and so I think that absolutely, you know, um, I wanted to ask you about another thing, Jay, that I think would be kind of controversial. Uh, uh, Justin Amash, libertarian, former Republican, yes. recently, well. yeah, he, he, <laughs> he recently introduced something called the Ending Qualified Immunity Act. And I expect that this is something that, you know, a number of libertarians are for the Cato Institute, I believe, which libertarian think tank has been. Uh, kind of inveighing against qualified immunity for a while for police officers. And uh, a number of progressive civil libertarians on the left, of course, would be in favor of this sort of thing. And uh, just for people who don't know, Jay, my, my understanding basically is that qualified immunity right now essentially is immunity for police against civil suits stemming from actions in their official capacity. And uh, Correct. 
right now, the standard is pretty broad. This immunity is pretty broad. So, you know, I don't think my feeling is that qualified immunity makes sense and it doesn't need to be ended, but I think it needs to be modified because right now there have been a number, there have been several cases where, for instance, an officer has done things that clearly violated department guidelines, clearly contravened what he or she was explicitly told to not do or do by a superior right. and still be covered under qualified immunity. Basically, as long as there's not a previous court case that held that a specific action was unconstitutional, well, then qualified immunity essentially applies. And there were some wild examples of that, like a one of a cop who was just firing at some fleeing car from a highway overpass. And it was like, well, that no, that's OK. Um, I, I think maybe that's something that should be investigated. Or- yeah, no. I, um, and I would say. Um- Qualified immunity. Uh, if if you're if you're keeping track, Ohio Revised Code twenty uh, twenty seven forty four. I mean, I've okay, got the yeah. uh, statute memorized <laughs> because uh, I've run into it a, a number of times. Um, you know, the the idea is that uh, yeah, you can't be uh, civilly liable for essentially negligent uh, acts um, committed in the in the scope of your your duty, um, and different different states put little different spins on it. Um, so usually, you know, it, it's, it's sort of a mixed bag, which you can get the, like the examples you, you mentioned uh, the firing after a, a police car or firing after that, that would, I don't think that would, would get you immunity in um, under Ohio statute under most of the case law here, but, but that's going to vary from, from place to place uh, based upon the, the vagaries of your statute and, and what the, the case law interpreting it is. Um, but I can tell you, yeah, qualified immunity is, is exceptionally broad. Um, and it, it's the the thing is, and in, in, in some ways it, it's, I understand the, the idea it used to be, in fact, that there would be, there was no, um, way to sue the government for government acts. Uh, and then the government, then they, there was a wave of reform that said, okay, yeah, you can. Um, but in, in these cases you have to meet this higher burden. To show that the officer acted somehow recklessly, intentionally, sure. in violation of something, um, which which all makes uh, a lot of sense. Um, but if you're going to court to get over that hurdle, uh, can be time consuming and expensive. Yeah, yeah. So it, um, you know, it really sounds Jay like on the policy end, there's there's not a lot of distance between between us on any of these issues. So, uh, but of course, but again, I think the problem is, is that the federal government can only do so much. I think probably the easiest thing for the federal government to do is to mandate the data collection and to, you know, push the states to raise their standards and maybe tie some federal funding to that. But that only goes so far. We need states and and we really states to, to act on this. And one thing they can do is uh, I mean, police officers have to be certified, and those certification quali- you know qualifications are decided by the states. And I think it would be entirely fair to say that if we are going to be asking significantly more of police officers, and I think we should, then their compensation needs to reflect that we're asking more of them. And so maybe some way to kind of you know work, try to find some bipartisanship is to kind of tie this to greater pay or something like that say well we're going to take this away and you need to do more but yeah. 
because I, you know, it, I think part of the problem too is that our culture is steeped in this idea that police are always the good guys. I mean, we see cop shows all the time, and that's you know it, these heroic sort of that's how they're portrayed. Well, I, I'd say I'd say judging from the uh, the graffiti on the billboards that I, I read on my way into work, uh, I, I wouldn't say that that's necessarily a shared assumption and throughout the culture. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A- absolutely so. But I'm saying from a lot of people, certainly a lot of people, I think who are tend to be voters and politically active. You know, that yeah. just seeps into your seeps into your consciousness. And you're right. You know, certainly, I mean, I'm fortunate enough to have never really felt like I was threatened or anything like that by law enforcement, you know, except, you know, if I, you know, when I was younger doing maybe like 90 on, the, you know, okay, well, you know, that that's a different thing, but I've never felt that sense of threat from that. And for me, the police have always been, I naturally just assume they're the good guys. And yeah. That cultural reinforcement counts for a lot, I think, is, yeah. is, is my point, I guess, you know. So, you know, maybe we can also, I think we also need to, to look at, though, the response to the, 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 the violence and the, and, the, and the riots and all that. Because, you know, you're right, a, a protest is never one thing, right? There are all sorts of different people with different motives. Some people are bored. Some people are fed up. Uh, I think the majority of them are uh, protesters tend to be, you know, decent people. Uh, but yeah, there are some outside agitators, though I think that can be overplayed. We've seen that, you know, throughout the history of protests, because of course, yeah. again, communities don't want to say, well, it's it's our folks. So it's these people that were bust in from wherever right. who are doing it. So it makes sense. It, it's the, it's, there's a, the wonderful, yeah, uh, line in The Graduate from uh, Norman Fell. You're, you're not one of those outside agitators. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So when the protests are nationwide, it's sort of hard to, you know, I mean, uh, uh, the people who are who are part of not that it's even really a group in that sense. Antifa uh, wish they were anywhere near as powerful and well organized as, as a lot of people in the last few weeks have given them credit for, certainly, you know. But well, let me I mean, I'm, I'm going to, again, share just some some this is kind of personal yeah. observations from the video from Cleveland. And this is something that, uh, again, troubles me a whole lot because I, I, I want to say, cause you and I agree on this. And also this is another reason I brought you back because you and I have a, a, a good story on this. Um, there, anytime there's a protest, I certainly, I, I support the right of people to, to protest peacefully. Uh, I think the death of George Floyd is, is abhorrent and people should be angered, um, and, and should speak out. Um, you can debate the efficacy of, of these these protests and what they're really about. But the thing that, that troubles me is uh, there is this idea that, OK, um, we're going to protest peacefully. But there's also a subtext of, of of you know that there are going to be people who are not going to be peaceful. So when watching some of the video from from Cleveland, I, I, you see people walking around with baseball bats. Um, uh, you see a guy walking through the, the street and again, incidentally, these were, were, were white, uh, I'll call them rioters because I don't think you bring a baseball bat to a, a peaceful protest. It's just kind of a pickup game afterwards. Um, another, another guy who was apparently on his, on his way to hockey practice afterwards, uh, brought, brought a hockey stick. Um, but, but I think you have to, to look at this and say, look, seriously, I mean, what, what do people think is going to happen, uh, when you have folks like this? Uh, who are now in masks for for you know may, maybe several reasons, um, uh, showing up with with weapons 
uh, uh, I mean, that's that's you know, you know in, in, intent on destruction. And I, and I guess at, at some point, do the peaceful protesters, the people organizing the peaceful protests, uh, is there any duty on them to try to make make sure that violence doesn't erupt? Yep. Um, and, uh, and, and I think in some cases there have been reports of people who uh, I, I read a report of some guy who was doing some doing some violence to, to, to some some piece of public property or something like that. And it was a white guy, it turns out, and and a group of black guys picked him up, kicking and screaming and and gave him to the cops and said, here, his ass is yours, you know. And so, amen. I mean, yes. exactly, yeah. you know, that's God bless America. the kind of thing you want to see. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's difficult, obviously, to to kind of have an appropriate level of response because you do want to protect those rights, but you also need to make sure that violence doesn't get out of control. You know, it's one thing to, if somebody throws a, a, a can or something like that, but when people start throwing rocks and looting, well, that, that's, that's too far. And I guess one of the things that disturbed me was, you know, what I feel to be President Trump's uh, just really incredibly unfortunate and that's putting it kindly response to this saying you know these the talk about dominating the protesters and the way he seemed to take great pleasure in things like sicking dogs on people or saying that young secret service agents are eager to bust some heads or you know things well, like that and 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 even more than that then saying you know clearing away with you know pepper uh pepper spray and other things uh, uh an essentially peaceful crowd so he can walk across the street and awkwardly pose with a, a Bible in front of a church where, my God, if, if, a, if a bolt of lightning doesn't come down and strike at that point, uh, don't know when it's going to. So, you know, I think that people like General Mattis uh, are right when they say that, you know, he, he doesn't even make an attempt to try to unite people. He doesn't even pretend to try. Um, that's exactly the words of, of uh, General Mattis and saying that, you know, we are witnessing the consequences of three years of this deliberate effort. We are witnessing the consequences of three years without mature leadership. And, you know, that's not just General Mattis. Uh, that's uh, a number of other top military folks who've, you know, made, said several said, said similar things. And I, you know, I entirely agree. So let me I'm going to push back a little bit on that, because I I, I, I think. Obviously, to me, I mean, Donald Trump uh, acted exactly as you would expect Donald Trump yeah, to act yeah, uh, in, in this sort of situation. Um, so to say it's shocking or surprising. Um, that said, I, I I think having a, a strong voice for law and order is important. Uh, I wish it wasn't Donald Trump's voice. Uh, you know, I mean, you can you point out that George H.W. Bush called in the uh, the military uh, to assist in the LA riots, uh, and and again, no one would would accuse Bush. Although I suppose probably some did at the time of, you know, this is imminent fascism or martial law or something like that. Um, but I think to to lay all of this uh, as Mattis does on on Trump is is unfair uh, because you look, there were certainly plenty of riots, looting, destruction um, uh, during uh, the the late Obama administration. Uh, again, in, in response to things like the the, the Michael Brown uh, shooting, um, also a bit, and, and it seems there's there's something just going on with with rioters. I, I noted yesterday there was um, there were riots, there were riots across the world uh, in in London, um, people uh, attacking uh, Ten Downing Street, 
which uh, to me, if I'm Boris Johnson, I'm like, come on, man. I, you know, it's, I, it's just, it's, it's baffling to me. Um, well, you know, I don't think it, it, what, no, what exactly is it that, you know, you expect me to do about, you know, uh, a death in, in Minnesota in another, uh, but, but there is this, this core group of, of folks who are I know, anarchist, right? For lack of a better word. Sure. Uh, well, I think, you know, what, obviously what's driving a lot of this is the background of COVID and people being, feeling particularly vulnerable and angry. And so I think that, you know, absent that, I don't think we would have seen nearly what we've, what we've seen in this country and, and around the world, certainly. And, you know, I, I agree with you that we can look back at past presidents and they've done, they've, they've done similar things, but part of, I think part of being a leader is not gleefully talking about violence and dominating yeah. protesters. It's saying, we will use all appropriate levels of force, you know, as opposed to saying, oh, they, they tell me the young guys, they're really itching to get some practice. That's that's the sort of thing, you know, and we'll get to this later. Uh, that's the sort of thing that George Will calls Donald Trump a weak person's idea of a strong person. And I think yeah, no, that's, I think that's yeah, yeah, I think that's I think that's right. But when, it's when you have when you have a leader who seems deeply afraid of looking weak or being laughed at. That person, when when push comes to shove, is going to make bad decisions because they're so focused on their own image. Yeah. And so somebody who has more confidence in himself, like, uh, like, well, pretty much any other previous president. I well, you think, you think of. if you're president of the United States, you're you're pretty confident. But, but you're but yet but yet it does not seem to be the case at all, because I think those things are set up much, much earlier in life, you know, and, you yeah. know, it, it occurs to me. And I'm sure you've noticed this, that oftentimes, not just in this case, but President Trump talks about the worst thing that can happen is someone being laughed at. And he keeps on coming back to that again and again yeah. and again. And I think, wow, someone did a number on you when you were a kid, didn't they? It, yeah. I mean, you know, if, if, it, if it weren't for all the destruction, he, I feel like he, he's, you know, part of and, and, and went away causing, I would feel so sorry for him because he just... God, that's got to be so awful to be inside his head. You know, I'd say the poor man, but, you know, and anyway, so, yeah. But, you know, also I should point out that in terms of the getting back uh, away from pop psychology, but, uh, you know, the ACLU actually is bringing a lawsuit about that Bible photo op sort of thing, arguing that it violated rights to free speech and assembly. And that's going to be the first of a number of planned lawsuits. And it'll be interesting to see how those go, certainly. Yeah, well, I, 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 I'm not sure that I. Again, I'm I'm not going to comment on the merits of the suit. Sure. Um, yeah. But uh, this this actually, well, gosh, there's so much so much to to get. Let, let me ask you one other thing, and I guess this is something that's troubled me as as someone more on the right. Is there's been since the the protests, there is this this um, cliche of. The mostly peaceful protest that turned violent, um, and and it troubles me because in a lot of cases I think it's it's clearly foreseeable that these matters will turn violent. Yeah, and and I want to take you back to uh, one of our adventures in Washington. <laughs> I knew, I knew um, because I think listeners might appreciate this. Um, it there was uh, uh, Mike and I were uh, had spent a semester in Washington. Um, and it was one of our first weeks there, maybe in the first or second weekend. And there are all these signs posted uh, noting that there was going to be a Ku Klux Klan march uh, on the Capitol and people should come out and counter protest. So Mike and I don't like the Klan um, and we were <laughs> nope. ready to take them on. 
so we uh, we decided we go down. It was like a, a Sunday morning, I think, um, uh, ready to go out and, and protest the Klan. And, and it, it, truth be told, uh, more just as spectators and, and just out for for sort of a little adventure, right? Um, uh, and and as we board the metro, uh, we we see there were a whole lot of people. Um, carrying things like baseball bats and yeah. hockey sticks yeah. and, and big two by fours uh, that they were bringing to the peaceful protest. <laughs> um, and and this was, you know, it stuck with me because it's it's really just sort of a life lesson, right? Um, uh, we sort of thought that we'd just go out there and we'd we'd you know chant a couple things and yeah, uh, you know, boo the clan and that kind of thing, and and we'd be heroes. Uh, <laughs> And not not realizing this is a much larger thing, right? And there were people who were out there who they were intent on causing trouble, and they did. Yeah. Um. There was it was something of of I don't know whether you call it a riot, but it was uh there was violence. Yeah. Uh, definitely had beat up. Uh, yep. glass got broken. Cops were had the shields and the whole bit. There was like a little tank thing. Yeah. Um. Uh. And and uh, I I went away from that thinking, wow, this is this is different than, than what I thought it would be. Um, and that was, you know, almost 30 years ago. Um, and, and in, in reality, it turns out there was like, well, something like, you know, five Klansmen or something <laughs> yeah. we're, we're going to block. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, and again, you know, tens of thousands of people protesting. Um, but, but I, but I think that's just, just a, a life lesson that to, to think that how naive, uh, we were, sure. right. Yeah. Thinking that this wasn't going to end in, in some sort of violence or a riot or to think that everyone else going to this protest was was going with this, uh, you know, happy, heartfelt thing of, hey, I'm against the Klan um, uh, is just terribly naive. And I'm, I'm wondering, you know, what do we do with 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 that? Um, and I just want to get your comments. I mean, yeah. you want it's, it's, it's a good story, but I, two, it's... I, I think it's just, a, I mean, it, it's a problem without a solution. It's human nature, right? You're always yeah. going to have those people. And, and the best you can do is to, uh, is to have a, a strong public safety presence, knowing that these things are, there's going to be some element who's always going to try to disrupt the peaceful message of these, you know, of this exercise of First Amendment rights. And, and, you know, so that's in a way, you know, I disagree with the language. So I'm not saying dominating the protesters, but just making sure that there is enough of a security presence so the people who are legitimately exercising their rights feel safe and that they can go ahead and exercise their rights in a in a safe, safe manner and that property is protected. And I think yeah. most everyone agrees with that. What what do you think about because there have been and I, I don't want to drag you into this but but some on the left who have have said well listen property destruction is peaceful um, well, no of course it's not know, this I mean, is yeah. this is the speaking out of the oppressed and if you're not uh, physically injuring someone well this is still a peaceful protest and this is uh, if not to be condoned then to be understood yeah and I, I agree that some on the yeah. left have, have, have said that no I'm not saying you're saying that no I, I I will I will agree with that I think it certainly is there are some I mean there are some people who are just vandals who are just in uh, the racially charged term that President Trump used are just thugs but uh, you know I think there are some people who legitimately feel that hey you know we've been peacefully protesting uh, for generations. And there were still these issues. And the only way to get people to sit up and take notice is if we threaten, we destroy, 
their property. Nothing else is going to work. And I mean, it's, you know, it's sort of uh, the cliches, the, the old you know, difference between the, uh, the, 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 the Malcolm X and uh, Martin Luther King right. sort of approach to these things. And, you know, I should point out that it's sort of, in a way, unsurprising, but sad how Martin Luther King has been, I would say, Disneyfied in a way. Kind of held yeah. up, and, and and you know, you and I are old enough to remember when he wasn't necessarily this figure of, you know, just a secular saint, but especially later on in his life, Martin Luther King was uh, uh, quite the radical. In fact, you know, the last uh, uh, one of the last uh, speeches that he was going to make was, I think, it's called uh, "Why America May Go to Hell," because uh, he had sort of become very disillusioned with uh with with a lot of what was trying to be you know accomplished through peaceful means and so i i you know that, that obviously especially when i see people on the right saying oh these people today they're not acting in the spirit of martin luther king and i just think, oh god but but my but, point but yeah i mean that's what we we live in a, a a world today where um listen in martin luther king's age where there were also you know plenty of riots um uh, I'm, I'm thinking of the the Cleveland Huff riots in 1966 and all the riots of 1968, which in in terms of it, at this point, destruction and death uh, were, were much worse and and more widespread. Oh, people um, don't people don't appreciate how bad the, the, the violence and the bombings and all yeah. that were in the in the late 1960s through the early 1970s. You, you look at some of the, the stats on bombings. It's just like, my God, it was it's like the bombings practically every day for for a while it was really really yeah, pretty there were stunning. riots again almost every and and again in in, in those uh, uh a lot of those riots not not even tied necessarily to a certain incident uh, right. as this is um but uh, but but two points is is that one since then well we we've twice elected a black president uh, I mean, that says something about America and where it is now as to to where it was then. Um, sure, uh, but I think. But, the but the secondly, yeah. the other the other piece of this is, if you drive through the Huff neighborhood um, in Cleveland, it doesn't look much better than it did. Uh, the situation of the people living there is not much better than it was in 1966, uh, despite. 50 years of a whole lot of government money being poured into uh, trying, trying to fix this. And, and that's, again, I, I think sometimes that we're not looking at a, so much a racial issue, but, but a social issue. Well, I, yeah, I think, I think there are components of both. I think too many people just make it out to be one thing. And on the, you know, and on the black president thing, I think, uh, yes, you're absolutely right. And I, I think that almost nobody, we did look. You well, can no, check that. No, I mean, yeah, that, that fact check us on that. But, but what I mean is that is that if if you if you say, well, you know, things are better than they were then, I think it's hard to argue that they that that's untrue. But what happens sometimes is people say, well, Barack Obama was elected twice. Ergo, we do not have race problems in this country, and that's that to me is is uh, is problematic to say the least. Because yeah, no, and, I, and that's that's not what I'm saying. Oh, yeah, I, I know that, but I'm just saying, you know, a lot of people will hear that and say, "Oh my God, there's just another right winger who says, well, we had a black guy as president, so can't we just move on from this?'" And yeah. you know, speak, speaking, Jay, of so, move, so we've been yeah. yeah, we've been talking about this a lot, and, and quite honestly, this this was one of these things. In picking our topics for the week, there's there's so much 
going on and so much to unpack and there's other stuff that I kind of wish we, we'd had a chance to talk about, but, um, should we move to some good news now? Yes, let's, let's do that. It's so rare. So I absolutely want to do that. Uh, yeah. The, and the good news, uh, as Donald Trump would say, terrific news, uh, fantastic news is that the U S economy added 2.5 million jobs in the month of May. Uh, that brings the unemployment rate down from it had been 14.3%, uh, to 13, 13, one, I think I have in front of me. Um, uh, so that was, uh, wall street rallied, uh, going up about 800 points that capped off sort of a, a really good week or so, uh, for the market, uh, indicating that, that the market thinks the, the worst of, of coronavirus, uh, is, is behind it. And in many ways, and I think this is intricate, is discounting a lot of the the, the racial unrest um, uh, because of the corona thing is probably the, the bigger story commercially uh, in, in terms of, 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 you know, sales and all that. So, um, Mike, and, and I, my first thought is, you know, the way they, they report these, these numbers to say 2.5 million jobs were created, uh, typically you would say, wow, that's incredible. Um, but in a lot of cases, these aren't new jobs created. These are just the old jobs that are now open again and people yeah. can go to, yeah. um, which is which is still a good thing. Um, but I mean, most economists, this this beat the the uh, estimate, which some economists were saying was going to come in much higher, like 20 percent uh, unemployment yeah. in May. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think we, we have to say this is all around good news and bodes well for a, a quick recovery. Uh, on the the corona front, and Mike, I don't know if you your your thoughts on this, but well, I I guess one of my first thoughts, I, of course, I I agree with you. There's no way that this isn't good news, but you know, if, of course, President Trump can't leave good well enough alone, right? First, his comment that well, this is not just going to be a V-shaped recovery; it's going to be a rocket ship. Uh, uh, but but then his very proud tweet about having the number one monthly job gain in history. And, you know, you can't make this stuff up. I say it's like, it's almost like the onion created a president. It's like, oh, he created 2.5 million, most in history. Well, yeah, last month was negative 20.7 million. So, um, and, you know, at some point it just, I, 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 I'm left speechless because every time I think that he can't surprise me, he does something and I just think, wow, it just, wow, you know, um, but there's that, but I, more substantively, a couple of things. Number one, I think that this is a sign that the paycheck protection uh, program is working that, you know, because a lot of these yeah. people are, are folks who are kept on or were able to be kept on because of that program, that big part of the of the CARES Act. And that's a positive thing, right? Uh, especially you take a look at the percentage of these jobs that are in things like uh, in industries that would be most affected because employment rose most in leisure and hospitality, uh, construction uh, and other, other yep. things. So, you know, that's, I think they're, that's very good. Though, like you said, you know, that's a lot of these for, were from not really job creation. I think it's right. more likely to be kind of the low hanging fruit of the callbacks. And we're not necessarily going to, we can't necessarily expect to see this every month, though. Again, this is a positive thing. Although, although I would say it's, it's also positive to look forward in that, in this case, this is the report for May. And in a lot of cases, depending on what state you're in, a lot of the reopenings didn't didn't occur until the middle of May, yeah. uh, if not later. So the the idea a lot of states will be more fully open a month from now 
that bodes yeah. positively. And, and just the idea that uh, jobs were not destroyed, right? Yeah. That there are these jobs still to come back to. Yeah, yeah, um, I, I, I absolutely. Is, is sort of the, the, the good news in this. And uh, on the left, uh, one concern is that uh, this is almost certainly going to make uh, much more difficult to get a new round of stimulus. And if, even if there is, it's going to be less than it otherwise would be. And and the reason why that is a concern to, to myself and other folks on the left is this doesn't really change the story for state and local governments who are struggling mightily and aren't going to be able to just recover from this. And of course, in that ideal next round of stimulus, what Democrats wanted to do and what House Democrats you know, passed was uh, significant aid to state and local governments. And uh, my sense is I still think there's a possibility for some sort of a deal, though smaller than it would otherwise be, with uh, kind of an exchange of some state and local government aid for some business liability protection, though I'm I'm a lot less confident that that's going to happen than I would have been even a week ago. Well, I think there's still going to be uh, a federal government still likes to spend a whole lot of money. Um, and I think it, it still will. I agree. Maybe the, the the result might be a little smaller than it was before based just on simply because the, the, the prior, you know, expectations you were sort of looking at, here's what we think is going to happen as far as payrolls go. Yeah. Uh, and that turned out to be better news than than what they they thought. So uh, I think that you know rationally there ought to be an adjustment there. And and you and I sort of went back and forth on uh, to what extent states should be bailed out from the sudden losses based on coronavirus uh, compared to uh, right. long yeah. long term debts they and, had already accrued before that. And this is just sort of a, a good opportunity to, to get out of out from under them. And I think we agreed on that. I, we both yeah, felt we that, yeah. yeah, the coronavirus stuff, that's fine. But bailing out pension systems that were exactly. in trouble beforehand is not OK. Yeah. You know, one other thing I should point out is that it might make it more difficult to continue something like the enhanced unemployment insurance. Now, that expires at the end of July, though, between between that point and now, there'll be one more jobs report. So I think that what's going to happen with that is going to depend on what we see from next month's jobs report. And, and by that, you mean the essentially $600 bonus yeah. uh, that, that some folks get. And the, the, the concern uh, is that there are some people, uh, based on in, in certain industries, based on what you were being paid, that you are actually making more uh, yeah. on unemployment than you would going back to work. Um, there is a, a Republican proposal out there, uh, I believe Senator Portman, I don't know whether he sponsored it or he's certainly a, a, a proponent of it, that, that would sort of create this back-to-work bonus, which sort of, is sort of a weird um, uh, Get a job thing of, bonus, yeah, okay. Exactly. Um, uh, which, again, I'm typically not in favor of just handing out money, but these are, these are strange times. Um, and uh, sure. it, it, it may, that, that that time period between letting letting the unemployment lapse uh, and someone trying to find a job versus somebody trying to get back into a, a job and getting the bonus, I I think there's there's a good argument to be made at this point that that you want that transition back to work to be as as quickly as possible. So yeah, uh, yeah. before that. So one more story we sort of have time for is um, uh, Rod Rosenstein, um, the uh, former. Um, uh, Justice Department, acting head of Justice Department, testified before the Senate Intelligence Committee uh, relating to uh, the the 
I guess what we'll call it, the collusion investigation, the uh, numerous things, FBI, uh, misfeasance, malfeasance. And uh, Rosenstein's testimony uh, was that uh, he don't know nothing. Um, uh, he was not consulted, uh, didn't know uh, a lot of these things that were going on, didn't know that uh, the dossier had been uh, sort of uh, I hate to use the word debunked, uh, called into doubt by the FBI's own, own people that the one of the critical sources had uh, 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 said he was unable to verify this. He he didn't. And and then had he known this, he would not have uh, verified the continued uh, FISA warrant on Carter Page. Um, uh, so uh, what what are your your sense of the Rosenstein testimony? Because it, to me, it, there's there's sort of a uh, either uh, it, it's not good one way or the other, right? No. Uh, it would be bad if he knew this stuff and and did it. Uh, it's slightly less bad that he didn't know, but that indicates that uh, he was he was uh, sort of willfully ignorant and and sort of a, taking a Sergeant Schultz approach, uh, or that this information was deliberately kept from him. Yeah. Well, um, you know, I, I think to a certain extent, when you're you know Deputy Attorney General, uh, you you have to have a level of trust in the people underneath you that because they're the people you rely on for your information. Now, the, the extent to which you're going to be involved, of course, is going to vary. But to me, this isn't surprising in that you and I, Jay, have agreed for a long time now that uh, the whole FISA system and, and the way the FBI conducts investigations more broadly is is deeply, deeply problematic and needs to be radically reformed. And this is a sign of this. I mean, if uh, to me, it's important to keep in mind that Rod Rosenstein is a, you know, is a, was a Republican appointee of, of Donald Trump, as was Jeff yeah. said. And these, so uh, to me, this is. Well, well, to some extent, I mean, Rosenstein wasn't sort of handpicked by Trump. He was no. sort of moved up, just moved up the ranks uh, kind of by, by attrition. Yeah. Well, I, but, but but my point is, is this isn't some yeah. Obama person who was, you know, exactly. well, yeah. has a vendetta against Donald Trump or anything yeah. like that. I understand why people would look at it that way. Yeah, but to me, the more the more convincing argument is that this is just a systemic failure of, of an organization of, of the intelligence community. And so it's not necessarily helpful to look at it through conspiracy theory lens. What we need to do is. We need to do things like reauthorize uh, FISA by with a lot of changes, which, by the way, all of a sudden isn't happening, which is weird because the FISA reauthorization passed the Senate 80 to 16, and then it passed the House uh, in uh, a few months ago, 278 to 136, with 126 Republicans voting for it, including, yeah. by the way, Kevin McCarthy, Jim Jordan, and, and Devin Nunes. But then President Trump issued some statements that he was he wasn't in favor of. Then all of a sudden, you know, the the Trump Legion said, oh, yeah, we're actually not in favor of it either, which right there, by the way, makes reminds me that Congress is no longer, it seems like, a co-equal branch of government. And we really have more of a parliamentary system. Uh, and that's disturbing for a whole another reason. Speaking of but institutional you always failure. Want. You're always going on about, about how great Europe and, and parliaments not, are. Not me. Not me. But well, <laughs> if we're going to have one, we should have one. But not not this fake parliamentary system, I guess. But but yeah, the, the Trump legion said, oh, yeah, I've changed my mind, actually. You know, I, yeah, I vote with my president. But the problem here is that on the one hand, the Department of Justice says the amendments that are proposed are too restrictive. 
and they're going to cause problems with foreign intelligence partners and the president. And I think rightly here, President Trump is saying that he doesn't think it goes far enough to restrict the FBI's surveillance powers. And I think President Trump may have a point and that Congress was too eager to go ahead and reauthorize this without making even more substantial changes because the changes made to it are important and will make it better. But I think it needs to be made better still. And what what remains to be seen, what's going to happen with that? Because apparently, unsurprisingly, uh, President Trump just sort of announced this and everyone in Congress was sort of taken by surprise. It was like, oh, oh, okay, I guess he's not for it today. So, you know. Well, you know, the other the, the piece of the and this goes back to uh, really sort of this same issue of of policing and the the crooked timber of humanity um is that a lot of the FISA processes you could say in and of themselves uh there's nothing wrong with them uh right i mean if you have to have someone who verifies what's what's in this uh, uh the information before you go before a FISA judge uh swears out that they've they've checked this out that this is true um uh, and that's the reason you're requesting the warrant. Well, that is sort of a protection, uh, unless the people just lie about it, um, which which would seem to be what what happened here. Um, and and you know you can put in different layers of protection, but but still, if someone is intent on on violating it, that's uh, there's not right. much that that you can but, do. But that's one part of it, right? Because the t- yeah. other two parts are it makes it a little well, harder. It, well, it makes it marginally more difficult and and raises the the stakes of getting caught. But it, yeah, but it only makes it harder if there's aggressive oversight and if there are strong, harsh penalties. Right. And yeah. we so we have so maybe we have some of the structures in place, you know, on paper. But what we don't have, I, I don't think, is anywhere close to a good enough system for oversight of these processes and then just really having some very harsh penalties for people who abuse this process. And that that's going to be the key thing because people respond to incentives. And if those incentives are strong enough, because if there's, if something is illegal and people don't really think there's much of a chance they're going to get caught or if they do get caught, well, they might lose their job, but no worse. Well, that's not going to be enough. I don't think. Well, let me weigh in on one more thing on the Rosenstein because it kind of goes to that. Um, oversight piece of it. Uh, to me, uh, what I found troubling was that the, what I took away was either Rosenstein was intentionally compartmentalized out of this so that he could have the, the plausible deniability, uh, as, as the phrase is, is, is in Washington, um, or, or he's just lying. Because to me, it seems inconceivable that this this is not just a Hey, we're investigating some drug dealers here, or we think there's some some uh, shady uh, embezzlement dealings going on in this this company. Um, this would be the biggest investigation in the history of the United States. That allegations that the the president elect uh, is is essentially an agent of of a foreign government. Um, this this would be the biggest story, the biggest case the FBI would ever work. Um, and, and for Rosenstein to say, well, it really didn't, you know, come up to my level. I didn't really check into this. I didn't, uh, to me, if I'm, if I'm the director of the, of Justice Department, the AG, um, you know, I'm on the phone with, uh, with these guys every morning. Well, or uh, are you? What's going yeah, on? Yeah, that's a great point. I think that's a great I mean, point. Just, to me, it just seems strange well, that, uh, you don't, you don't check in on, uh, again, this is this is not a a run of the mill. I see. I, uh, I disagree with you. I think then that's the problem, and that's why you need external checks because 
if I'm a normal, very ambitious political person and you don't get to be deputy attorney general without being an intensely political person, you know all about covering your butt and plausible deniability and that. So maybe what maybe what you say to the FBI director and, and all the folks immediately reporting you is saying, hey, tell me everything you think I need to know. With exactly. the implicit yeah. understanding that, hey, if this all goes bad, I'm just going to throw you under the bus and I'm going to I'm going to be able to say that I don't know, because exactly for the reasons you say that Rosenstein knew knew that this could potentially blow up. And if it did, he wanted he it's plausible that he wanted to protect himself from any of that. And by being able to truthfully say that he didn't get that information, he protects himself. Now that you could argue that's dereliction of duty. And if that's in I fact would what that, happened, yes. <laughs> but of course, part of the problem, right, is that we don't know, which is why we need a more robust process with outside checks. And that's what we clearly do not have, I would say. And so the system, the system fails because we're not going to change people's. Well, yes. And I would say part of the, the outside check is election of a new administration. Is um, the, because I, I, I really think if, uh, if if Hillary Clinton were elected, would you ever have heard anything about any of this? You mean, well, I mean, the Rosenstein thing wouldn't have got, come up because well, right. so, it wouldn't have wouldn't have gotten wouldn't to have that been, yeah. point because. Right. But I'm saying uh, the, the ball would the ball to to even investigate any of this would not have been put in play. Uh, well, I, I, I don't know. I think it's, it's, it's always tough to sort of argue that if, the if Jeff Sessions hadn't been appointed. Um, then and then had to recuse himself. Right, Rosenstein wouldn't have been in that. But uh, so, yeah. But I, any, anyway, that's so. And we're we're almost out of time. But you know, I wanted to. We've got our um, recommendations for the for the week. Sure. Yeah. Uh, but I also had one one thought that I, I meant to put in when we were talking about the George Floyd uh, and the protests, and because uh, again, this is this is something that's that's troubled me. Uh, a lot. And, and again, it just goes to a, a worldview. And I think maybe you probably share this. Um, and that I would say in a, in a just world, um, or in a perfect world, this would never have happened. You would never have police who, who abuse their power, uh, whether it's out of racial animus, whether it's just out of, uh, uh, uh sort of macho, uh, self-aggrandizement, whether, whether it's just, you know, being sort of drunk with power, uh, whether it's just being a, a person in power who has terribly bad judgment, um, in a perfect world, none of that would happen. Yeah. Uh, in, in a in a just world, we recognize that these things do happen, and that the people who commit these these crimes uh, should be held accountable. And I think that's what's what's happening. And and I want to, I don't know, add that sort of ray of hope, right? In in this case, it's not like. Again, the '60s in the South, when there were were, were was brutality killings and, and people got off scot free. Uh, obviously, Chauvin is is entitled to the presumption of innocence under the Constitution, but he's been arrested, he's been charged with murder, uh, and and he will he will face a, a trial on this. Um, and, and none of that brings George Floyd back, um, but but I think it's it's something that that. You know, again, that's to the extent the system can work, it it, it is working. It's never perfect, but but that's a, a sign of hope, right? That that we punish these these uh, these wrongdoers. Yeah, and and certainly that rem that remains to be 
remains to be seen if if he will be if he will be punished and that's obviously a story we'll be following and right. whether that's or not these other officers of, because it's one thing to be charged it's another yeah. thing of course to be to be convicted and get what what people would feel to be an appropriate sentence but more than that and I, more than that is the focus on the larger system because for every George Floyd every single day there are thousands of people who are the victim of of you know, uh, police violence. And that's not going to go away just because, you know, uh, uh, Chauvin and, and a couple other cops are convicted, whatever kind of sentence. That's going to require long, hard legislative work. And so while I am hopeful that in this case, some justice will be done. And, you know, in, certainly in Minneapolis, they, they banned chokeholds finally, and we see some other things. But to, to really deal with this problem, it's, it's, it's a lot more than just, it's just, a lot more than just a few bad apples and we need some systemic reform. Okay. So what, what are your uh, recommendations this week? You know, I think I'm going to, I think I'm going to hold off on that because it's kind oh, of a okay. longer conversation actually. So, but uh, in fact, I'll, I'll mention that on our, on our midweek show, but uh, if you have something you want to recommend. Well, yeah. I, I would um, uh, point out there was a piece by Heather McDonald in national review and the Jason Riley piece uh, in the Wall Street Journal that both talk about uh, studies involving um, racial disparity and policing. Uh, and and to me, this I think those are important because it, it points to a problem being more related to policing uh, and, and uh, excessive force uh, and uh, giving people power uh, as opposed to race. Uh, that's not to say that that race isn't a factor and maybe a separate problem, but that that if we're going to find a real solution, I think conflating all of this into it's it's police racism um, is, uh, is is problematic because I think it just doesn't um, um, solve every you know I I think it's I think it's painting with too broad a brush, and in doing so, we we maybe miss some of the solutions. Um, uh, and I could, I have another, well, I'll, I'll spare you the other story, but uh, I'll, I'll just summarize it very briefly is the man I talked about uh, earlier in the, the show, my friend who has the store, uh, which was destroyed uh, about 10 years ago. Um, he, uh, he lives outside of the city of Cleveland, uh, city of Cleveland police uh, came to his house uh, at midnight, uh, kicked in his door, said, were the police, you're under arrest took him down, booked him uh, on the charge of um, uh, allegedly running into a police officer with his car. Uh, it was subsequently determined uh, based on some some uh, video cam that he was he and his wife were having dinner uh, somewhere else on the other side of town when this allegedly happened. It was just mistaken identity. But you still had this essentially police brutality of police acting outside of their the scope of, of, of their jurisdiction. Uh, and, and doing so in, in a way to try to terrify uh, a citizen who was uh, entirely uh, innocent. Um, and to me, that's that's the the problem that that we have. This this wasn't a, a racial. That wasn't a racial issue. Um, but um, so anyway, that's that's setting that aside. And you and I can talk more about the, the race stuff later. But yeah, absolutely. So there was, was a big show. There was a lot. There was a lot to get to on this. And I know there was a lot we didn't get to. Yeah. And, and, uh, so I, I don't want listeners to think, oh, they, they didn't talk about this. Why are you avoiding talking about that? Um, 
I, I think it's it's just a matter of there's there's been a whole lot going on, and like I said, a lot to unpack. Yeah, absolutely. And so, in fact, on our midweek show, we'll get to some of that. Uh, I, I I sort of mentioned the George Will article about how he's calling not just for Donald Trump's defeat, but for his Republican congressional enablers. And uh, I'm interested in getting Jay's thoughts on that, as well as the, the Republican convention possibly moving uh, because of uh, the president's desire to have a packed house and uh Let's see what else. Uh, Donald Trump and the G7 and his thoughts about that, an international story. And also, as I mentioned at the top of the show, our thoughts on my, my interview with Jeffrey Sachs and his, like would say, lack of concern with uh, with China. So all of that, if you're interested, will be on our what will be, I'm sure, a jam packed midweek supporter show. And if you are a supporter You'll be seeing that on Wednesday. And if not, hey, you can become a supporter. It's patreon.com slash politics, guys. And remember, if you can't afford to become a supporter, but you want to hear that stuff, send me an email, mike at politicsguys.com, and I will get you set up. Also, if you uh, have any comments, questions, suggestions, anything like that, just send us an email, mail at politicsguys.com. Please do check out our Bipartisan Politics subreddit. You'll find the URL in the show notes or just search for Bipartisan Politics on Reddit. There's also our Facebook page where, yes, I am reluctantly getting back into the fray from time to time. We post stuff there. It's Facebook.com slash Politics Guys page. And we are on Twitter at Politics Guys. The executive producers of the Politics Guys are Bruce Johnson, Will Moreno, Andre Masker, Daniel Toe, and Chris Wilkerson. Today's show is produced by us, Mike and Jay. We'll be back with a new show next week. We hope you'll join us.